Hello and welcome back. This is T-Berg On Air, the official podcast of the greater 14886 area code. My name is Keith Hannon, and I'll be bringing you occasional spotlights of members of our community, organizations, causes, all the best greater Trumansburg has to offer as we reflect on our history and we look to the future. Tonight, my guest is someone whose family has a long history here in Trumansburg, but he's also working hard to build its future. He is fourth generation Trumansburg. When his daughters graduate, they will be fifth generation Trumansburg School District graduates. His name is Greg Van Ness. Greg currently serves on the Trumansburg Chamber of Commerce. He does some moonlighting at the wonderful Italian restaurant known as Gola. He's a landlord, but one of the most fascinating things about Greg is he actually left for 13 years, where he did a pilgrimage to Sin City and picked up a number of great experiences and insights along the way, which he now hopes to apply here in his hometown as he continues to raise his family. Tonight, we'll talk about the history of Trumansburg, specifically Greg's history, his family history, how he has seen Trumansburg evolve over the years, and what he thinks we need to do to create a viable future for Main Street and the surrounding area. Greg, thank you for coming on T-Berg on Air and being guest number one. It's a pleasure to be here, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> well, one thing I'd like to uh, establish is a local beverage that... Uh, that we're enjoying as we have this discussion, and tonight we are we are uh, talking over a, a bellwether Cherry Street, um, which I think is pretty delicious. Is it absolutely as a, as a, a hospitality uh, expert? Yeah, is this a, meeting a, your criteria? It's definitely it's a revisit. I haven't had a bottle of Cherry Street in probably a year and a half, uh, but uh, it's one of my wife's favorites, and she loves cider, and it's a, it's a touch on the sweeter side, so it's refreshing and it is great. So we kind of got. Uh, I think we had talked before this, but our first real sit down was basically you pinged me and said, how about I bring over, you know, a six pack and we can talk through some things. I, I thought that was great. It was great to talk to someone that's actually, you know, other than going door to door, someone came to my door <laughs> and brought beer right. and uh, offered some insights into the, the local landscape. What was it that inspired that, by the way? Was your... I don't know that, I didn't know that anything really inspired it other than wanting to have a conversation. But, you know, looking <laughs> back on it, I, I kind of went Obama with the old beer talk. I, I'm not yeah. quite sure, you know, he, <laughs> he, he thought that was a way to bridge the gap. I never thought of myself in that direction, but... Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, just trying to bring a local perspective that from somebody that really understands the, the historic fabric of this community. Yeah. And then someone who has moved away and came back and has a different perspective, uh, I think is important to be talked about. So I think that night we talked a lot about local development, and that's what we're going to spend a lot of tonight on. But I wanted to... Also, turn back the clock a little bit and just talk about your uh, your time growing up here and uh, kind of give us a little timeline of starting off here in T-Bert to, to where we're at now. What, what has transpired in <laughs> in, the, in Greg's life? Well, just uh, I guess I, I looked back at the generational thing and did a lot of family tree stuff a few years ago, uh, reflecting on a lot, and I just 
you know, I, I looked at it, my daughters will actually be like the fifth generation, I believe, that to graduate from Trumansburg High School. So that's how wow. far back my family goes yeah. Jeez. Uh, in this community. Uh, my great-great-grandparents uh, owned a large farm just north of the village across the border in Seneca County. Uh, and uh, one of those uh, women that were born in that family was my great-grandmother. And then my father purchased the farm that I grew up living on uh, from my great-grandmother and that was the home I grew up in and my dad still lives in to this day and then uh, after I graduated from high school in 93 moved out west to Las Vegas to finish my college education out there stayed there for 13 years I came back in late 2008 uh, to uh, transition back here and uh, raise my family here uh, and just, uh, I was able to purchase the farm next door. It came on, it was about to come on the market. And uh, so I'm neighbors with my father on, this, you know, adjacent land that I grew up on and my family's been on for generations. So it's, uh, to me, pretty special. Town of Covert is uh, kind of like been a slow to develop and slow to move mm -hmm. community uh, suburb of Trumansburg, if you want to call it that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll call it that. Suburb of Trumansburg, suburb of uh, Interlaken, but uh, if you want to call them the, that, it's, uh, you know, but it's been a, a great place to grow up and I wouldn't change it for anything. As you become an adult, you appreciate more, obviously. I think that's exactly right and that's what brought my family, well, it wasn't really a family yet when we came back. We, we had one on the way, uh, but I think that's right and I think I was really Rest and I totally underappreciated, or uh, you could call underappreciated or misunderstood so much of the family histories of this area. You know, I think when you think of Ithaca because of the schools, it's a bit of a transient population. And out here, as I was meeting new families, uh, both just through the schools and on the campaign trail, I was really kind of blown away by how many people are three, four, five, six generations uh, of, of families that have lived in this area. And I can only imagine what uh, what that transition has looked like from, from that perspective. Um, what someone like me might think is a, is a, is a minor uh, addition or subtraction to the local community probably means a whole lot more to people that have given centuries um, to, the, to this area. We, we glossed over what I thought might be some of the more interesting dialogue and what happened in Vegas in 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, just uh, finished my, I transferred out there. I went my uh, first two years uh, to Niagara University and uh, studied, you know, business and liberal arts courses there. And then um, came upon a choice to either, I had applied to Cornell and applied to UNLV's hotel restaurant management program mm -hmm. uh, and interviewed and got into Cornell. Uh, at, but in that period of time when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, uh, my mother passed away and uh, right in the New Year's of my freshman year of college. And so I decided moving away probably was a good option just to clear my head and, and, 
and get out of town for a while. And I had a couple of T-Burgers that I had grown up with that were a little older than I that had gone to UNLV, said they loved it and, and took me under their wing when I moved out there. So that was uh, why I moved to Vegas. And, you know, it was, you know, a lot of things influenced. I got married very young. Uh, I was 23 uh, when I'm, I uh, married my wife, Megan, and uh, we met about eight months after I moved to Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, um, we dated on and off for a couple of years there. But Is she from that area or from outside that area? Well, her, her, the interesting thing is I found a woman from, you know, that her family values were placed in the Northeast. They were, you know, she was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay. But, um, but her parents moved there in the late 70s during the Deep Recession. It, uh, her father took a job out there with the county, and uh, when Las Vegas was only a couple a couple hundred thousand people, and uh, you know that, but she was four years old, so she was raised in Las Vegas, went to large high schools, and but yet her parents instilled in her a lot of East Coast personality as well. So yeah, that's probably what caught my eye <laughs> when I met her. You know, so well, my was, wife and I met in Los Angeles, and neither one of us were from there. And now, uh, now we're here. So it's, it is, I just, I think it's interesting just how you kind of, uh, some of us stumble into our spouses. You know? <laughs> I mean, here, here you are, you have a family that's, uh, would you say five, five generations in this area and you, you meet your wife, not from here, right? You know? so, oh yeah, no, I, I, and now, but you're still here. You're still back here now. Um, and you spent some time, uh, doing some hospitality stuff. Yeah, that's oh, been the biggest biggest focus probably of my career. I mean, I went to uh, hotel restaurant management school at UNLV, and then while I was going there, I met uh, a sous chef at uh, Emerald Lagasse's first restaurant in Las Vegas, uh, and he's like, "Man, you got to come check this place out. I think you'd love it." And I started working there um, as a buzzer and started waiting tables six months later, and worked for Emerald for seven years almost six and. Wow. Oh, just over six and a half years. It was a great learning experience from a fantastic restaurateur, and I learned it on the ultimate stage. I mean, Emerald was at the top of his career in the spotlight. I was in the spotlight every night in the restaurant because everybody that came to Las Vegas wanted to be in his restaurant. And right. so it was pretty pretty fascinating, the, the dynamics that went on day in and day out in the restaurant because there's a lot of pressure to perform. Um, and live up to the expectations that he built in his career. So it was pretty uh, fantastic times. On top of it, Las Vegas was exploding in growth. I mean, I think we were averaging at one point uh, through the late 90s, early 2000s, anywhere from seven to 8,000 people a month were moving to Las Vegas Valley. Right, and that's when uh, all those McMansions were going up, Yep, which would soon become empty. Yeah, and they were cheap, right? Cheap McMansions compared to what they were in in, in uh, Orange County, right? People would sell a, you know, a nine hundred to a eleven hundred square foot shack in Orange County for six hundred and fifty thousand, and then come up and pay cash for a three thousand to four thousand square foot house, and they felt like they were living like kings, yeah, because you know that's what people did: bigger is better, and and it was cheap, power was cheap. Everything uh, was, and no state income tax, you know, so right. even even better. So, you know, they everyone that moved, spilled over the border from California felt like they were improving their lives immensely uh, going there. 
growth was hard though. School districts suffered. Yeah. My wife is a teacher. She felt that. And uh, teaching, teaching some of her first classrooms were in trailers outside of the actual Just because of overflow? Because of overflow. Jeez. She was moving a cart from classroom to classroom. And that was her, that was when she, how she started her teaching career. And it was all because of that explosive growth. They couldn't build schools fast enough for the number of people moving to the valley. So I think that's described as baptism by fire, perhaps. <laughs> yep. yep. <Yeah>. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we sit here in my, my living room, are you one of the people that have been in my house before me? Uh, no, because I, I, I run into I, a lot of people that are like, I used to party in that yeah, house. No, you know? I never had, never had the pleasure of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, coming into this residence. Uh, it's been a few, uh, people that I've met that have moved into our community and purchased homes that I'm like, and I've been, yeah. I visited and I'm like, yep. Okay. Yeah. I remember coming here for this yeah. and you don't want to know about <laughs> right. your family room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've met people that are like, oh, I used to your pool at night. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's. <laughs> Let's, yeah. get, let's get it going again because I can right. use some excitement in my right. life, you know, once uh. the kids are in bed. Uh, <laughs> and so what can we find you doing now locally? Uh, you just, I think you just finished quite a renovation project. Yeah. Um, my wife and I uh, had the opportunity, uh, her mother passed uh, a little over a year ago and we had some funds left from uh, selling her property in Las Vegas um, from the estate settlement and wanted to reinvest the money uh, intelligently and, and on behalf of our children for their college education. So we purchased a house on uh, Hector Street there right over by the water tower and mm -hmm. small property uh, built in the 50s that needed some attention. And so uh, a gentleman and I renovated it this fall, early winter. And uh, just had a tenant move in. Uh, I was going to ask. 20, 20, 20 days ago. So that didn't take too long, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, no. It was, I just saw the finished photos. And you yeah. already have a tenant in there. So. Yeah, it came out great. Um, you know, classic any project. As soon as you start pulling things apart, one thing leads to the other, and it turns into a longer project and a touch more expensive. But it was completely worth The end product was completely worth it. And I hope the people that moved in there are happy with it and, and find it, uh, you know, a great place to live. It's location's fantastic. You can walk to everything in Trumansburg, but yet you're still on the edge of the village and not, yeah. you know, it, not just, you know, you know, in a tightly enclosed space, you know, it's, you know, I, but really the village doesn't have that. Uh, these yeah. lots are pretty nice size in the village and it's not extremely dense here. So my favorite part of living in this house is when the middle school has a dance, I hear the whole playlist. <laughs> I mean, I don't miss a beat. It's, right. it's a, it's a great thing. Well, and you, and you get grassroots, um, we get spillover yeah. too, right? Yeah, I remember once, the, having that beer. I believe I heard a few tunes when we were having yeah, the beer. Once the, uh, it's funny in the, the time of day in the, the atmospheric conditions play quite a role in how well I can hear the bands. Uh, but yeah, usually once, once sunset hits, it's pretty clear. Yeah, you could probably have a backyard party over that, but I prefer just to just to be there. It's probably right. a little bit better. Absolutely. Uh, so let's dive into the uh, the Trumansburg third rail topic here of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of of development. So, and I maybe I would pose a question first. Um, you know, you so you were gone thirteen years. You come back. Was there anything just in that period of time that kind of stuck out to you as 
as things that had changed, or was it still pretty much as you remember it at that point? I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, Trumansburg's not a fast-changing community, and upstate New York is not a fast-changing area relative to where I once lived. Right. Um, you know, you discover that, and then as you age, you understand more of the dynamics of everything um, and why things are the way they are. Um, you know, Trumansburg used to be able to support two grocery stores. Really, it can only support one. Um, fortunately, the Seafew family stuck it out. It used to be in the old Napa Auto Parts store on the corner of Union Street and Main Street, is where the SureSafe and their grocery store started. Now it's out on the outskirts of town in a much bigger building, modern, and, and much easier to manage for them. Um, but then obviously the transition of the other grocery store, which is now Atlas Bowl and the fitness center building and a couple of vacant spaces, you know, that's, you know, that building was, you know, a thriving grocery store at one point, a PNC grocery market is what it was there most of those years. And, you know, I hadn't even really discovered this, that the village population had diminished as much as it had. I mean, at one point in time, they were saying in the late 1980s, early 1990s, we had almost 3,000 residents here, from what I understand. Uh, forgive me if I don't have the timeline absolutely correct there, but um, but now I guess the village... Is that general, general, I mean, is that strictly... Pretty close to the village, village borders, or or at least at least close to the. From what I understand, area. yeah, the one I understand, village borders are close to it because I think yeah. now, town Ulysses is in that three thousand range, hmm. and then the village itself proper, from what I understand, is around eighteen hundred. So it's a pretty solid shrink uh, in population right. in twenty years, twenty five years. Um, so I, you know, I that was, you know. Regardless of the exact math, but the point right. is taken that things have closed. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You know, it, it, you know, but then new things have come in too. I mean, that's the, you know, it took a while to find the, the right fit. But you know, Todd over at Atlas is is made a play that is is he's been patient and made the changes necessary, and he's got a great business going on over there right now. Um, but you know, it, it, everything evolves over time. You know, that's generational. So much of it, I mean, there's where Silverline Tap Room is now it used to be Camel's Restaurant, which was a local little hangout, mostly breakfast at a big time, uh, and then a late night bar scene. But, you know, the family that owned it, uh, the Chantras were fantastic, hospitable people that would open their arms to anybody that came in the door. And, you know, they passed away, you know, the, the owners of it, the mother and their son, passed away uh, relatively early in life. I mean, the mother lived a long time. And uh, so that place has transitioned. Fortunately, a gentleman that I used to work with at the restaurant, Richard's growing up, uh, took it over and uh, Ron Don, you know, Donnie Scott. Um, and then he took the opportunity when the building across the street opened up and or came available and, and built a bigger place or took a bigger place and bigger space. So. Um, that place is, that space has turned over quite a bit over the years. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's hard to see some of these businesses transition and change, but even my father and my grandparents saw, you know, all these businesses change. There used to be a restaurant, a sit down diner type family style restaurant where the, uh, good to go and, uh, and the Chinese restaurant are, mm. and it, it used to be called Gregory's way back in the day. Um, 
I, I wasn't even around when I was a kid. That was pre pre me. So, you know, it's all, all these places transition. I think it's a lot of it's generational, but also it's, it's you know, situational too. It, it, people, you know, I think innovate and come up with a business. They have a passion, they have a love, they have a skill set, whatever that may, business may be. Um, Trumansburg's always been flush with with bars, so I guess we've been <laughs> a hospitable community. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we've had the most watering holes per capita in Tompkins County for a long time. But I certainly appreciate being able to take a summer stroll down to hear a band at Silver Line. I grew up in Johnson City, New York, which is a village as well, a much larger village. You know, in my time, it was probably uh, thirteen thousand people within the village limits, so larger. But uh, I. I grew up in the start of the decline. IBM started pulling out of Binghamton. A lot of defense contractors after the Cold War started pulling out of Broome County in general and just left this this big population of, of, of jobless uh, engineers and, and, other, and other things like that. And um, it... It was amazing to me, you know. I go back there now, and you, you don't even really recognize it. It's 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 sad, and I'm not by any stretch making a comparison between right. what's happening there and what's happening in Trumansburg. Yeah. But it's just like I, you know, it's uh, an example of maybe it's upstate New York uh, transition. You know, where, oh, yeah. where Main Street Johnson City was a bunch of locally owned, you know, different businesses. You know, a couple bars, some cafes. Uh, barber shops, stuff like that, and and now there's there's two dollar stores on this one strip. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of vacant uh, buildings. Um, now there's a there's a Walmart in Johnson City, which um, may or may not be a good sign that you're you're kind of grasping for tax revenue, right. uh, especially when there's one right across the river in Vestal. Um, <laughs> so, I I mean I look at where I grew up. And then I look at Trumansburg, and I'm actually impressed in a lot of ways that, that, you know, the main street scene here in Trumansburg is still quite vibrant and, and locally sourced compared to where I grew up. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's been the culture of our town for, you know, for generations. I, you know, I think that has carried through. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've stayed stable, obviously. I think Cornell University is, can be credited for mm -hmm. keeping our economy here in Trumansburg relatively stable. I mean, we're an agricultural community by nature and by, uh, by our history, uh, my family included. Uh, but the generations of, of farmers have dwindled over the years and, you know, we've now got 2% of the country's population farming. Whereas in the 1950s and 1940s, we were in the, you know, 40%. Yeah range of our population farming and sustaining themselves and their families. So it's a big change. Even that eventually was going to affect our small area of upstate New York, even though we're agriculturally rich and have all this wonderful place, wonderful land to, to grow and thrive on. It's, you know, families transition and careers transition and, and people, you know, great example is my, my class of 93 here in, uh, 1993 in Trumansburg was 80 kids or so and we all moved away yeah. mm. you know it was there's literally a handful of us from my generation that are still living here in Trumansburg or in the in the greater Ithaca area um, you know most of it was you know 
situational. People go away to school and did what I did and stayed away for quite a long time and ended up starting families elsewhere. And that's where they have stayed or, and, but it's, it's a sacrifice to move back here, you know, right. career wise. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's not the same opportunity depending on what your path is, uh, right. to move back to this area versus being in a larger Metro. So I can tell you it was downright frightening. You know, we, we were lucky to, my, my wife was able to get a job, you know, right before we moved. So we had some income to come back to, but we still lost about 65% of our, our family income. Oh yeah. Because, you know, I worked remotely for a couple of months, but then I was looking for work and, you know, the salary, I mean, my, my wife's paycheck got nearly cut in half, but we, you know, we were like, well, it's still good for Ithaca. And then, you know. The seven years that I was out west, I come back and I'm like, wow, Ithaca's, once you're out of college, you realize Ithaca's not that cheap. No, <laughs> not, not in the least bit. Like, so you bring this L.A. debt back to upstate New York where the, the salary shrink. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's an intimidating uh, situation. But at the same time, I think for those of us that have done it, it's also a testament to what we see in the value of these communities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got to, you got to be flexible. You got to be willing to, to do, do the things necessary to make your family, you know, survive and, and hopefully thrive in this area. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I've took, you know, after I stopped the restaurant business for a while in Las Vegas, I got into commercial real estate, uh, sales, uh, along with, during that boom time. And, uh, had it might just started getting traction when the everything went kaboom, yeah. Uh, and the financial markets and the real estate industry uh, exploded and early, you know, really it was the summer of 2007 when things started yeah. becoming apparent that things were going to go the other direction. Um, it had just the, the casino had been <laughs> people had been doubling their money for quite a while in, in Las Vegas on their real estate. Especially the residential side, and eventually had to come to a to an end. Unfortunately, came to a, a screeching halt. So a lot of people um, lost everything they had. They were buried in debt. Yeah, um, it was all false. You know, a false economy. But uh, you know that taught a lot of lessons. Uh, I think my you know members of my family that were in real estate have you know learned some valuable lessons and rode that bubble out and now we're coming out better on the other side of it as a result. So, and, you know, I, hopefully I picked up some of those lessons as well, you know, but, uh, moving back here, I, I've got a, a diverse experience. I'm willing to pitch in where I can and what I can do to help is what really is my focus as I've gotten older and understand that I do have things to offer and lend to the community. So, and you offer that, uh, one of the ways you offer that is through working in the Chamber of Commerce in Trumansburg. Uh, so what, you know, from that perspective, what do you think, uh, what's kind of the future outlook for this area? You know, what do you think we, what do we need to do to to remain fiscally healthy? Right. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, economic development, um, but also changing the way we do things. I mean, that's, it's... It is an exponentially changing world. Uh, the way we live our lives today is completely different than, you know, you and I grew up living. Yeah. Technology has changed everything. I think we're all a distracted society. And 
You used to drive up and down Main Street, Trumansburg at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, and you couldn't find a place to park your car because every bar and restaurant was full and full until closing time. Hmm. And now you go up and down Main Street, Trumansburg on a Saturday night, you're lucky to find 10 cars parked along the side of the street. Um, a lot of that's, you know, probably society's made some improvements as far as not drinking and driving. Yeah. Um, which has certainly been a big, you know, thrust and push of our police department and, and making sure that people are safe. Uh, but in the same token, it's affected business operations for hospitality operations because the bar is where the people make their money. Mm-hmm. The food is expensive to produce and <laughs> produce right. and serve, whereas the bar is, is where the profit is. And so that's made it tough. People now stay home, you know, grab a six pack at the store of the hundreds of beer options that the SureSave now has mm-hmm. and grab a slice of pizza or grab some to-go food from Little Venice or a Cherry make, Street. Grab a Cherry Street <laughs> from, the, from Bellwether on their way home. They're not paying for this, by the way. This right, is all, this yeah. is all uh, <laughs> free plug, right? Free, free plugs, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, and then go home and watch Amazon Prime and Netflix and, yeah. and live a little less extravagantly. Um, and so that affects business, I think, in general. You know, I'm just taking hospitality as an example because I recognize it and see it because I'm involved in it. But, you know, that's, I think every business is feeling that, you know, in one shape or form or another depending on what type of service they offer. Um, technology has changed the way, the way they operate, and, and if they don't or haven't been willing to make those changes as fast as they need to, uh, marketing alone is, you know, we're doing a podcast. Podcasting is, is an up-and-coming, you know, platform for, for people. It's, it's the new radio. Yeah. And, and so here we are. In a, in a society that's completely different the way we live today. And Trumansburg has got to make that push and that evolution. So we're, we're actually in the very beginning stages. We've had some recent meetings together as a board and uh, kind of a, an executive committee on the board uh, where we've discussed um, some serious changes on how we operate. We don't think the Chamber of Commerce in the old business model of buying a book of a list of phone numbers and addresses of the old days. And then it became a list of email addresses of fellow business members to market to as a new business owner in the community. We don't think that's valid anymore. Hmm. And so we're in the middle of a big transition just as an organization to try to reinvent how we promote and, and, and help businesses thrive in this community. So, yeah, it's a little harder to nail down local statistics, but if you look at the County level, and even the national level, I think you can probably make a case for shrinking disposable income in, in households. And in this county, um, you know, the you're, you're seeing two populations rise. It's the, the senior population and the student population. And if you're if you're a college town or downtown, you probably do really well by that increase in student population. Trumansburg probably not as much. No. So those those. And I, and I don't know how many of the older generation is looking to hang out at a bar at 11 o'clock at night, no, right? So exactly. uh, I think there's a couple factors there going against us. Um, so, you know, what do you, when you think about it, like if you had a, if, 
if somebody gave you a blank check? <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, what do you think are some, some strategies and, uh, I mean, on it, how we tackle some of these issues? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the subject of the day in the village is our housing situation and mm -hmm. the affordability level of it. Uh, we've, our expenses have risen and our incomes haven't. Right. Uh, everybody's doesn't matter. You know, so as a population, we got to figure out how to, and, and what we're willing to do to make the changes to allow us to thrive again or hopefully thrive again. Uh, and some of that involves some thinking on the way we used to do development versus what we do today. Um, and if we are willing to make those changes or adjustments or be willing to, uh, you know, pull out the chemistry set and start doing some, some experiments and be willing to be patient with those experiments if they fail. Right. Because they're not all going to work. But if we're willing to test a few things and, and say, and not just toss it all out, if something goes wrong or something happens, uh, that the community can't accept, then, you know, five, 10 years down the road, we start with something new, but we've got to, we've got to make some changes because our school is, expensive to operate our municipality uh you know they're shrinking municipalities are shrinking and combining all over the state of new york cuomo right. cuomo encourages it now he wants that yeah yeah our governor of a long time wants everyone to you know to consolidate and combine and technology is going to force that too yeah. um and hopefully we don't we've got a state pension system that all of our municipal employees are tied to and you know are, are they those pensions going to be even viable, you know, when they become you know, come to retirement age? You know, in yeah. these small municipalities, it's hard to manage the the finances, and and it's and they're big numbers too. They're much bigger numbers than they used to be. Um, without professional management, you know, we're we're, we're taught, you know, we can rely on consultants all we want, yeah, yeah. but the, even the consultants <clears throat> are scratching their heads because they're trying to keep up with the change. So that's. In my mind, you know, some of the biggest challenges is, you know, if we can tackle it with incremental wealth increasing of our community, uh, and there's ways to do that and ways to tackle it. And I think housing is a big piece of the puzzle uh, because that's our big single biggest expense, and um, we've got to we've got to make some changes. Yeah, and I, I've been to some county presentations where there's even kind of been this this early pitch to consider, uh, well, we're already doing a lot of shared services. Um, I mean, just look, you know, you go by the, the fire department here in Trumansburg and you, you talk to some of those folks and you hear about what a large distance that they are in charge of covering. It's, it's quite, quite incredible that a volunteer force uh, covers so much ground and that goes for the, the EMS crew as well. Um, but there's also talk at the county level about does it make sense to consolidate uh, police forces in the county? And I know a lot of people like Trumansburg, Cayuga Heights, people that live in villages, uh, they like having their own police force. But to your point, those things cost money. Yeah. And um, yeah, the village. If you're not making it. Yeah, the village of Interlakens already had that debate and battle in the last, you know. Talk about a tiny little 600-person village. 
in, in Seneca County that, you know, you've got one, one police officer and a part-time person to cover the other parts of the shift. And then the county sheriff covers the, the rest. And uh, it's a big debate whether it's the viability of keeping a, a automobile, an officer, pension benefits, the whole thing. Uh, employed full time in, in that small of a municipality even makes any kind of fiscal sense, um, and they're they've battled it out, and it's still I think a up up issue you know up in the air issue at this point. Right. So. Yeah, I mean when it comes to public safety, it's a it's a hard sell, right? You can you can show people the figures and the math and say, look, we save money here, but when it comes to public safety. You know, there's kind of this feeling that I don't care what it costs. I feel more secure right. knowing I have, you know, someone right around the corner stationed here. Yep. And, um, Absolutely. I mean, the fire fire department's another great example. I mean, we're talking about a volunteer force. I mean, they they really have very few fringe benefits, if any, to really to lean back on to say this is worth my time and the amount of training that's involved and effort that it takes to be trained according to current standards. Exactly, yeah. Um, on a, like I said, on a shrinking population and a shrinking force willing to even step up and do the job. Uh, you know, my best, one of my best friends growing up is the, you know, second generation fire chief at Trumansburg, you know. So it's, and he, you know, if it wasn't for his career as a full-time firefighter, you know, who knows if he'd still be doing it today, maybe. Um, but. Uh, and I think I, I attended back-to-back state of the village meetings the last two years, where you know, he's been up there making a plea, saying we need a new building, or at least we need major renovations done just for the safety of the people yeah. that volunteer. So that's another um, potential project. Yeah, no, that'll on, on the books here. That'll be a big one coming down the road. Is you know when they decide to tackle that issue full on, uh, but obviously that we've. We've danced around it here as we're leading up to the discussion of, you know, what are we going to do for increasing our housing options here in Trumansburg? And, mm-hmm. and um, are we scared to bring new, new community members in as well? And change is, you know, by nature, a scary thought. And, but we've got to have some honest conversations as to what we're willing to do to make some changes to make the, everyone's lives improve here. Um, and that's what really my my thoughts and beliefs are, is we've got to be willing to make some changes. As much as we want to stay comfortable and, and relaxed and not, you know, upset the apple cart here, we've got to be willing to to do it and take the risk. Risk is, is everything in life. I mean, if you don't take risks, nothing ever transpires. So, Yeah, in our conversations about, the proposed 46 South Street project, you know, um, just to take this head on. I think there's, I think there's agreement that there are, there are things to probably be skeptical about. And what you told me, I think in our first conversation is the importance of, uh, thinking about moderation, right? And one term that's thrown out a lot is responsible growth. You know, so what does that term mean to you? And you know, do you 
Do you consider the current iteration of this project to be responsible growth, or do you still think we we have a lot of tweaking to do? You know, it's it's hard. I I'm a, I'm I look at two two perspectives here. You know, I, I've got a lot of people that I grew up with and generationally and families that live around that pro, where that proposed project is, right. and I feel for them. They mm-hmm. have this field field out there that has been a farm and then become a swamp and just open space that has been quiet and has animals running and birds running through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, you know, all they've ever had in their entire existence li- living in those properties. And uh, to have potentially, you know, in that 150, 200 person new neighbor range, you know, moving in in a relatively short period of time. I mean, they say a decade. Sure, maybe. Yeah. Um, but really, let's think about how quick a decade escapes us here, and that's. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you put an apartment building with, you know, I think the current iteration is around forty-seven units there. Um, that's you're looking at eighty to ninety new people in your backyard. Yeah. Within, you know, a year's to two years' time, plus all the construction to build that property mm-hmm. and the infrastructure. Um, it's a lot of disruption yeah. for a lot of households that have had a pretty quiet existence for the most part uh, in 30 or 40 years in Germansburg yeah. or more. So it's uh, so I feel for those people, uh, but it's also hard to make a project pencil without some sort of density. And if we're going to actually put housing there and not some other, you know, park or recreational facility, you know, I think uh, at one point some of the committee members of the, the Trumansburg rec, uh, you know, upstart, um, was even looking at that property at one point, yeah. um, as a potential site. Uh, but really you gotta have something with some sort of density. Otherwise it's gotta be a bunch of three, four, $500,000 houses that go in there to make the, the numbers work, to be able to build streets and infrastructure and bring everything to each property um, to get a project to pencil. I mean, you're talking a million to a million and a half in infrastructure costs before you even, you know, put a, uh, put a truss up on a house. So it's a pretty significant upfront investment for, and risk for a developer. Um, so developers have got to get creative and, you know, you've got an experienced group of people that have fought the fight for affordable housing in, in Tompkins County and Ithaca for years. Uh, that partnered up with a property owner. And that's, you know, they're taking the risk. You know, it's, you know, there's some government backing to that um, through tax credits to help the mm-hmm. construction. Uh, but they're the ones putting their necks out there and also getting beat up by the community to try to put together a project that is acceptable for everybody, but also pencils. Um, and so those, all those factors come into play. So do you do nothing or do you try something new? And, but I, you know, you, you talked about responsible growth or, um, and I, I, you know, to me it's incremental. I think you make changes, you know, it's like any habit, you know, you've got to, if you want to lose weight, you've got to do the right things and, you know, exercise and eat the right way to be able to 
lose the weight and keep the weight off and, and keep a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Well, the same way it goes for growth. You can't just build this great, big, great, grand project and expect all of our problems to go away. Right. Uh, it's got to be um, responsible and incremental. Incremental growth over a period of 25 years, 30 years, where you increase the village population by adding to the housing stock, I think is truly the, the way to do it. And other communities have done it around the country with a great deal of success. They've had pressure on housing stock and and cost of living. You know, Vancouver, Washington's a great example. Uh, Austin, Texas, great example. Those are two large metros. Right. Um, there's a small community in, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the town in uh, southwest Colorado, uh, where you're in that, you know, 12 to 15,000 person range, which we're closer to. Now we're starting to talk about. Is that Boulder? It's not Boulder. It's further. It's like further southwest. I wish I had the name off the top of my head, but they they recognize that the cost of living for its for for the people that were maintaining the resort areas and the people around the ski centers and so forth, they needed to make some changes, and they were willing to be progressive enough and think outside the box and and allow um, a different style of development in the within the village limits without having to do sprawl. Right. Um, you know, Colorado has different issues between just ge- geographical issues and water issues and fire issues out there. Um, but it's, you know, they were allowing accessory dwelling units to be built with relatively simple application process. They had a set of standards for each accessory dwelling unit that would be added to a property. Um, you, you know, they, they all have to meet code. They all have to be livable. It can't be just someone nailing up a shed in their backyard and calling it a house. Right. Um, you know, all but they streamlined the process to make it easier for the property owner or the developer that wanted to come in and help the property owner build an accessory dwelling unit. And then that unit could be there for a family member that needs to age in place and has a, an affordable place to do that or be able to have a rental unit attached to their property without having to get rezoned and have a, a you know whole issue around it. But guess what that did? That added rental income so they can pay mortgages and expenses. The single biggest you know issue in a household is your mortgage and your taxes. And now you've got rental income to help handle those expenses. That can be done in Teeburg. Yeah, you know what I find really and I, I know everything has nuance, but it's no secret that countywide housing is an issue. And recently, I believe the town of Ithaca essentially put a stop on exactly what you just described. Um, the exactly. idea that you could add you know, additional rental property or um, additional structures to your existing property. Um, I, think that, I think that was done in response to people complaining that others maybe were abusing the uh, the abundance of, of students and right. you know now it's but at the same time you're you're styming yeah. <laughs> the potential uh, potential dwellings in a place that clearly has a hard time 
having enough uh, affordable units for people. Yeah, I mean Ithaca is a landlocked community. You've got a lake and hillsides that only prevent it only allows so much development, mm-hmm. and people are only going to live so far away from the metropolitan center that if it's not accessible by a bicycle or by foot, you know the densities you know decrease as you move further out, and you know the landlords got brilliant in Ithaca. Uh, for a lot of years before Ithaca caught on that, um, at, you know, being able to sell sell a rental unit by the bedroom and not by the house or by the whole unit itself right. is, you know, great income. Uh, but now Ithaca has caught up to that and created some standards to help slow some of that growth down in that regard. Um, whereas, you know, Trumansburg, you're going to get the occasional grad student out here. Um, you're not going to get this explosive growth of, of student population in Ithaca taking the TCAT to Cornell every day. It's just not reality. Right. Um, but those people that have seasonal jobs at Cornell, because when Cornell shuts down in the summer, they go on unemployment or they have to go find another job that's probably not the same income that they achieve when they're at Cornell. They got to have an affordable place to live. People that have you know blue collar jobs that you know the income potential is only so much uh, for what people will pay for services that they provide in these in these areas. They've got to have places to live, especially when they're young and and getting established. Um, allowing people and then allowing seniors to age in place. You know these yeah. people that are part of the fabric of our community that have been here for generations, only to get forced out to move to. Interlaken because it's a little bit cheaper yeah. or get put in a nursing home up in Newark, New York in another county an hour from here uh, just because they can't afford to stay in Trumansburg. I think it's pretty tragic in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I knocked on a lot of doors where I heard stories from people. It was like, you know, you know my, uh, my house keeps getting reassessed. I can't afford the taxes on my own home, you know, and I'm getting older. You know, what, uh, what do I do? All you can do is sympathize and say, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, this is not, the trajectory here is not really sustainable. I mean, you don't want to have to kick people out right. of a place where they've spent right. 30 years themselves, 40 years, but then their families have been maybe here another, another four or five decades, who knows? Right. I mean, and that brings up a whole, you know, other dirty word that unfortunately gets associated with with racism and and diversity is is uh it's it's gentrification mm-hmm. you're gentrifying the population that can't afford to stay here any longer and forcing them to move to other alternatives outside of the community that they've been a part of it's just another form of it unfortunately the words um had a lot of different iterations and meanings to people yeah but it really it's what's what's happening to people of uh, on a social security income when their spouse passed away 25 years before they did and, and didn't leave them much of a pension or a retirement. And, you know, they're stuck in a house that think expenses increase every year. They keep getting reassessed. They can't afford to do improvements to their house. So their house right. becomes, I was going to say maintenance alone. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they you know, $10,000 for a roof on a house. I mean, yeah. in a, in a heartbeat, it will, you know, there's, there's just people that, that that'll force a person to sell overnight because they can't afford to do those renovations, heating systems. How do you make a house more efficient 
in a market where you've got the cost of of heating your home has is you know exponentially increased over the years mm-hmm. and you know just to be able to heat your place you want to make it more efficient so you aren't you know letting all that heat escape out of your house so you know putting in new windows doing you know an insulation project putting new siding on it tightening up the the home all those types of things are major money and there are programs out there to help some of our seniors that qualify income qualify to do you know do some of those projects but some of them don't have the know-how or the outreach isn't significant enough to be able to get all of those seniors taken care of and so you've got to do some other things to allow you know allow these people to stay in their community and be here with their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren so yeah and i think what what we're kind of getting to here is just this idea that like any hot button issue uh, there are way more complexities and, and nuance than we really even want to admit because we want to, we want to be able to easily wrap our head around a solution sure one way or the other nope. and you know i think you know while a lot of the focus is on this 46 south street project um, to your point there are you know i think there's a lot of other issues that are kind of feeding into uh, the emotions of that project. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, when, when I would talk to people, uh, there were people that would say, well, I, I, I would be more supportive of the project if I thought I could live there. But where I am on the income spectrum, I'm not, I'm, I make, I have just too much money to be eligible. Yeah, I'm living in this house that's also not sustainable. You know, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, are we taking care of our own in, exactly. a, you know, in a situation I mean, like this? How would you feel if, you know, you've got, you know, a senior or you're watching your parents, you know, trying to age in place and struggling and you're trying to maintain your place and assist them as much as you can financially. And all of a sudden this brand new set of buildings go up in your community and... There, you know, for lack of a better way to describing it, there's a jealousy factor there. Yeah. You know, and and in a, in a way, you can't blame the the person that sits there and has put blood, sweat, and tears into their livelihood and their and their property here in Trumansburg for years, and they can't afford to maintain it because of the way the expenses are. But yet, here's a group of people that are of you know lesser means than them. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. That's the way life is. That it have this gorgeous brand new property with everything you know given to them, right there when they hand the keys to to them to walk in. As long as they make the rent payment, and um, some of them are receiving social services assistance to be in those properties. It's a it's a it's a hard pill to swallow for for yeah. some people, and you know. The people that have lived, you know, we talk about complexities. I mean, that's there's all these dynamics that are involved that can put a person in the situation that makes them need public assistance to be able to afford to live. I managed a property like that in Ithaca. I watched that dynamic. Um, it's crazy how the lower income population 
of our area and of the, you know, let's be frank, from the rest of the country, they get taken advantage of because they're, you know, they're a group of people that are classically not as educated or cared for. And so that's why they're in the situation that they're in. They didn't, they didn't have that, that ability to advance like everyone else has had. And so we've got to take care of that population too. Um, and how we take care of them is giving them a safe and healthy place to live. Uh, and that's, it's an important element too. And, you know, do we want to allow those people to be taken care of in Trimisburg? And I think we do. I think, as you know, you talk to anybody on the street, there's no way that somebody's going to kick a person out on the street for right. having lesser means than them. We talked about it. Having that face-to-face conversation versus all the, the rhetoric, rhetoric built around the fear of something new going up. It's a difficult dynamic to tackle. Yeah, and to what you just said, you know, someone who's, you said, put a lot of a lot of time into their home and their property, but they've also contributed to the community, whether they're volunteers or patrons or owning a local business. You know, you can understand the frustration of there's going to be wonderful accommodations for newcomers, but I've put I've put a lifetime into into this area. Yeah. And I might have to move an hour away. You know, so I think there's a lot of of understanding um, and perspectives to be to be done on on this particular issue alone, let alone okay. all the other issues that uh, are potential developments. We are coming off a new development moratorium because of the water and, and sewer right. uh, had to come online. The state issued said, okay, no more expansion, no more building until you get a new, a second water source. In some ways, Trumansburg's open for business after a long time. Right. You know? no. And what does that mean? You know, that's... Uh, yeah, we've got the infrastructure abilities now to yeah. be able to allow expansion, but how we do that expansion is important. Yeah, and um, and doing it in a way that each one of our our community members feel it's acceptable, but also communicating it well, so they understand all the nuances involved. We we can throw out a bunch of scary arguments, you know our. School population is shrinking, is shrinking at a very minor amount. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty stable and it's going to stay pretty stable. But adding, you know, a bunch of new residents to the community in a short period of time, will that tax our school? No. We have the space for it. Our school population used to be a little bit larger. Not a great deal larger, but it was larger. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll allow for room for you know, more educators and staff members to become employees of the school district as a result um, because they'll have to hire more to be able to, you know, sustain a, uh, increase in, a slight increase in population. Um, you know, our fire department, our police force, you know, we st- struggle to, you know, my, my aunt's the uh, clerk for the police department. You know, they struggle to cover shifts. Sometimes, you know, to, you know, they've got local sheriffs and other village police officers covering a shift a week over here in Trumansburg because it's just hard to, you know, keep them, you know, employed full time other than our police chief. And, uh, you know, we talked about the fire department. 
all those things come into play having our, our municipal employees have more streets to care for more sewer systems to care for all those things that you know all these arguments that we can come up with to not do things right yeah you know but in the end of the day we've got to like it said earlier pull out the chemistry set and be willing to take a few chances and a few risks for progress and and we look at history of the world people that took risks and took chances come out on you know more times than not come out on the other side of of positive success and so on a smaller scale the little t-bird that isn't fast to change needs to to do that so my last question for you would be you know you hear a lot of dialogue both in person and online forums which uh, are always entertaining uh, about you know people like myself like I'll be honest that are, are new to Trumansburg I don't have family roots here you know my brother's been teaching the school district for yes I'll take some more Cherry Street thank you uh, my brother's been in the school district about 16 17 years or so which is kind of my tie which kind of got me introduced to this community and uh, why I started coming up here and spending time here and but I don't have I don't have the the deep roots so you know when I think about issues I try to to tread carefully and really be thoughtful and appreciative of you know the generations upon generations of, of families that have lived here and, and have invested in this community uh, but there's clearly uh, a, some sentiments out there that maybe uh, new people to the village younger new people are 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 being hasty and maybe their vision for right. for what the future might look like. And I think we're, you know, we also live in an age where everyone's very opinionated, and it's easy to share <laughs> your opinion on a lot of different platforms. I certainly try to be very mindful of my surroundings, and I think actually running for office is one of the best things that ever happened for me in terms of getting to know my community better. But for those that haven't had the experience like I have, and, and not that I have it all figured out by any stretch, what is... What is your advice as new people will continue undoubtedly to to come to Trumansburg? Because, I mean, let's face it, it's desirable. It really is. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm in a in a village, a walking distance to great restaurants and and, and um, beverage scenes <laughs> and uh, in grassroots. And my school campus is literally across the street. Yeah, I live in a house that was built in 1860. You know, you know, like it's 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 really uh, quite unique and it's desirable. And, and people um, my age and younger are going to continue to be attracted to um, this town and its uh, its adorable main street and its community. But at the same time, uh, how how do you advise people that are coming here to to think about their new surroundings? And should there be an expectation that we be mindful in how we assimilate, or should we be ambitious with our ideas, or no, is it somewhere I, in between? Well, I think I think I think your your last statement of somewhere in between is likely the the best case scenario. I mean, it's and my my mind involvement in all facets of the community has always been the best method to assimilate. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, as you were talking about, about this and asking me the question, I'm trying to like remember back to my childhood is to, you know, 
new kids that came to school. Those are new families in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how their families became what would be now generational families if they've stayed yeah. in Trumansburg and, uh, you know, what they felt like when they first moved here. And um, more likely than not, the ones that have stayed and really made this their home and now have children and grandchildren here, um, they got involved. I mean, the successful assimilation is where, you know, they coached a little league team. They, you know, helped with the stage production of a play at the school, you know, all, all the classic things, you know, joined the, the old, you know, what used to be, you know, a rotary club, which unfortunately has diminished our Lions club, which has unfortunately diminished our chamber of commerce, all those things. Uh, these organizations have all shrunk and changed and it's tough to manage and get volunteers to help do events and do things in the community. And that's how you get to know your community. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fascinating that little old Trumansburg can hold a three chicken barbecues in the same day <laughs> and sell over 600 halves of chicken in one day in in Trumansburg and sell out. And that's, you know, thank God for the internet. I think a lot of marketing goes in, it goes yeah. into that ability. Yeah. You know, but when you've got a robotics team that's successful, you've got, you know, a rotary club that is shrunk but still has the heart of the community in its mind and puts together a chicken barbecue the same day they do. And you've got our, our um, fish and game club having their chicken barbecue at the fairgrounds the same, all on the same day. And every single one of them are supported and yeah. it's because all those people that volunteered to put on that event or coordinate that event or market that event all got involved in some way. And that to me at the end of the day is the, a huge piece to feeling like you're part of this community and getting involved in a relatively easy, low investment of your time and, yeah. and effort. I mean, really low investment. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, a lot of people will go gung ho and volunteer all the time and bless them for being able to do that. But in this day and age, that's not necessarily realistic for everyone, um, especially in two income households now. Yeah. And I, I think it's so easy, you know, I'm someone that, that, you know, works in communications, which relies heavily on modern ways of communicating. And there's a lot of benefits to that. Marketing is one of them. Even at a local level now, um, online marketing is, is really powerful. I mean, every weekend I have a dozen Facebook events I'm reminded that I'm interested in. You know? <laughs> and you gotta can't pick them all. But I think you're right. I think you know, I think about my grandfather growing up down in uh, the greater Binghamton area and how many, you know, social or civic clubs he was a part of. And I, uh, you know, coming back here from from Southern California, from L.A., I think one of the big draws was reestablishing that sense of community that you don't get in a place like that. And I think being in the community, that's the first step. But to your point, uh, civic involvement, I think, is something, uh, is, is someone in the younger generation. Uh, I think our generation needs to get better at that. I think it's so easy when you're so interconnected digitally 
to always be focused on the issues of the world. And the impact of the world and arguing the issues of the world <laughs> where you could just walk down the block and make an instant difference on Main Street. Yeah. You know, clean up clean up the playground. You know, like, <laughs> you know, do something and uh and I'm and I'm putting more and more pressure on myself to do that. I think that's something that that really pushed me to finally just stop making excuses and 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 if I want to serve my community and public office just run already right you know and just figure it out as you go and no i didn't figure it out successfully but you know it was wow. still a great experience and it has made me feel more connected and has inspired me to get more involved and show up at events and and, and volunteer and, and donate to things and like you said if there's a cookout in town like go visit it you know yeah you know I mean, um, there's going to be inevitably 10 people standing in line with you waiting for, to pick up their chicken you're yeah. going to start a conversation with one of them right and you're going to see them at the next event or next thing at the school and you're going to that's the beauty of a small community right it, it's a tragedy and a beauty everybody says <laughs> it's small, tough in a small town to keep your business to yourself yeah uh but in the same token you can sit there and get to know people in a hurry and like I said, with a very low investment, you don't have to go out and sit at the bar anymore and sit there for hours on end and spend a bunch of money right. to get to know your your friends and neighbors. It's now, I think, involvement is is probably the easiest way to do it. And you know, we can all identify each other online now. Yeah, I mean, heck, it's it's yeah. like it's pretty scary when you can sit there and start a conversation with somebody you've never even spoke a word to in person. About, but you know everything about but, them. But you know everything about them. <laughs> yeah. But it. But they're great conversation starters. Yeah. Well, that's what I really. You know, that's you know, starting this podcast for me. It was. Uh, I think the impetus is is the hope that this is a this is an online medium. People will listen to this online on their computers on their phones, but hopefully it will kind of inspire action and an appreciation for the offline community that we have here. Um, it's it's easy to, especially right now, to be focused on some of the things that are um, emotional, emotional issues, shall we say, uh, locally. But, uh, you know, just it, as someone that's new, maybe sometimes when you're new, uh, you, you have a perspective that other people maybe have just kind of gotten used to like so so being new for me i look around at the doors i knocked on like wow you know we got people farming here we got people working remotely out of their garage for tech and software companies and they never leave the village but they they work somewhere you know their work's going somewhere far away uh, people are starting up a mill you know down the road csas and, and and so you know you can see a little bit of the the old roots of the area, but then you see some new industry coming on, a place like Atlas down the road from a place like Narongo, you know, yeah. the, the old and the new. And it just, I just think there's so much character and hopefully uh, these types of conversations can celebrate that character and um, get us through some of these more stressful and, and emotional debates that yeah. are healthy, I think. You know, I, I mean, think it's, I, I think as, as long as it's done in a healthy way, yeah, but it the, that's seems to be in our a very activist society that we are, and you know, politically charged society that we exist in today. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's changed our culture. Yeah. And how we approach everything, unfortunately, right down to our community. You know, where that should be the last thing affected, really. Um, yeah, it's easy to say. I saw this video online, and I think that might be happening right here. And maybe it is, or maybe it isn't. Right. But it's easy to just make that leap. I think the <laughs> the abundance of information coming at us now has just put a lot of people in a bad mood in general. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if that's part of, you know, you talked about people not lining Main Street at night anymore. I don't know if it's people are just like... They're getting grossed in that. Yeah, and it's just know, like, I don't feel like socializing. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I'm already burnt out from yeah, reading, just, you're reading five articles that I hated today. You right, know? And, right. You know, it's, it's you know, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, our, our technology is a blessing and a curse. It's opened the world up to so many things and so many possibilities, including being able to work remotely in Little Trimmersburg, New York. Yeah. Or literally out in the middle of nowhere if you can get an inter- internet connection. That's something we can work on. Let's right. all agree we can work right. on, we can better, work on that. better broadband. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but that, but in the same time, it's a, it's socially uh, it involves some struggles we you know social media social marketing you know but having in-person conversations and having contact with people still wins Mm -hmm. um because that's where those gaps get bridged sitting in an online forum debating guilty as charged (laughs) we all are guilty guilty as charged we gotta do something while we're out right exactly (laughs) (laughs) we don't do work anymore um you know, debating all these issues, it's great to be able to have have the forum to express your opinions and have the freedom to do so. Uh, but it also creates some issues too, and and it and it divides communities and in some ways because if literally we had dinner with the people that we seem to online have the most, you know, issue with or diverse opinions of. But you sat down and you broke bread like they like it once was done. Yeah. That's that's how government, that's how you know, people bridge gaps. Yeah. It's cause socially that's we want people to like each other. It's always easier to be uh shall we say uh, overly honest or blunt when you only have to answer to your keyboard. You know, and then but then that spills out into real life. Yeah. I think you're not going to insult somebody at their own dinner table. It's general. certainly harder. It's it's certainly it's harder. harder. I mean, family will do that, but uh, Larry David can do it. <laughs> yeah, Larry David can do it, and family <laughs> will likely do right. it. But to sit there and and have your neighbor or community member at your dinner table, you know, even if the food is god awful, <laughs> I'm a critic. That's right. Even if the food is god awful. You're not going to insult them. Right. You're not going to belittle them. You're not going to berate them for their opinions or what they have or don't have. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to be civil and have a conversation that hopefully goes in the right direction. And that's, that's where if, you know, I'd love to, you know, my stupid out of the box idea for this community is to put a big old farm table in the middle of that pasture field out there and and have all the people that are surrounding that project future project 
that live in those houses sit down at the same table with the people that were going to be the future residents of that project and have dinner together. Crazy, stupid, out-of-the-box idea. But I can guarantee you it would go a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Progress can be made because you've got to be able to understand everyone's perspective. Right. And, you know, as much as we all want our own perspective to be correct, uh, that's not reality. And I think we all, you know, or I think many of us, hopefully, as we age and, and understand more about ourselves personally can, can attest that, you know, as we get older, we're, we're better at taking that. Yeah. That criticism and that feedback and, and doing something with it, or at least better understanding ourselves and how to handle things in the future. So, okay, well, we'll wrap it here. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for, for being, uh, being guest number one for taking the plunge here <laughs> and uh, getting this off and running. Uh, you know, I, I knew you'd be uh, the perfect first guest just based on our run-ins and Thank how uh, our small uh, brief stop and chats seem yes. to drag on for hours at a time. <laughs> uh, but it's great. And I really uh, appreciate and, you know, respect your perspectives and yeah. your, your honesty and, and directness. We talk about feedback and, uh, in the short time I've known you, you've talked to me straight and yeah. uh, offered, uh, um, you know, yeah. your, your heartfelt our perspectives. Our, our family has never been one to mince words. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, bringing the hometown boy in uh, for the for your first podcast. Well, we're going to try to make it uh, quite hometown focused. And uh, I think you've earned that reputation. <laughs> I, I, I hope so <laughs> thank you uh, do you have any plugs before we go anything we can you know whether it's uh local chamber stuff or your your weekend home uh out there in gola yeah should we visit um, gola yeah you should come see me at uh, gola Osteria. I, i'd love to uh serve you a, a authentic italian meal uh with, i've been there a couple times i love it with a yeah. with a a little bit of uh, nostalgic flair because the old Coddington has some significant ties uh, to uh, Gola Osteria. So make sure you stop by, even if it's on Sunday nights for the family-style dinner. 25 bucks a person for a screaming three-course dinner, and you're usually taking home leftovers. I don't think I knew about that. Yeah. It's a Sunday night family-style dinner. dinner. Yeah. Three courses, 25 bucks. Wow, what am I doing this Sunday? Yeah, that sounds Mono pretty good. <laughs> yeah, twenty-five bucks a head. It's it's a screaming deal. Um, and like I said, you're usually bringing home leftovers. So, all right, thank you. Well, we'll put those to use. So that does it on the official first episode of T-Brig on Air. Have questions, concerns, comments, outraged? We'll take it all. Air at gmail.com. Let us know. My name's Keith Hannon, and T-Berg on Air is officially off-air. <laughs>